Good morning. Would you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 2? We're reading from the book, St. Matthew chapter 2. And about three weeks ago, Steve, the pastor, he spoke on Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was a great message. And then he followed it up two weeks ago, another great message on Mary and uh, Joseph. And then last week, he tied it all together about some of the responses to the Messianic son. And I thought that was a great message. So we've been learning all these characters and today I'm going to continue that. And if you open your bulletin, you'll see an outline that will, if you want to take notes, you can. But today the message is the four reactions to Christmas. I'm reading from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where, was, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would come and admit that we do need a Savior. I pray that we would commit our hearts into His hands. I pray that we would submit to His Lordship. And I ask that we would transmit the gospel by our lives and by our words. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Christmas time can bring out many different reactions from many different people. For some, Christmas time is a season of giving. I don't know if you've gone to stores, but you've seen barrels with, you know, saying, you know, toys. And everybody, you know, if you bring a gift, they give you a discount somewhere. Or you've seen a, a barrels of one warm coat. There's many different times and, and, and groups uh, where I work in East Palo Alto in Menlo Park. They were collecting toys and things like that. So it's a season of giving. For many, it's a season of festivity, partying, going on, a lot of hoorah, excitement. For some, this is a really exciting time of year because that's when families come together. 
children you haven't seen in a long time, relatives that have been gone, moved away, come back. This is an exciting time because you all come together. The airports are busy. They're hustling and bustling. This is a busy time to come and visit your family. Very expensive too, let me tell you. For some, it's a time of peace and goodwill. Sometimes even people stop fighting during this time of year. Unfortunately for many, it's, it's a sad time. It's loneliness and depression comes in. The stress of the year. Somebody passed away, a loved one. They're hurting. And they just look at it as a, as a time of sadness. For many people, it's a time to watch football, eat too much, drink too much, and spend too much. And that's going on right now. People are at the malls, I bet, right now, shopping and getting those gifts, especially us men. We, we kind of tend to procrastinate a little bit, especially toward the end. We'll be there this week. But for Christians, Christmas is all about a baby that was born in a stable and who changed the world forever. Changed it completely. So there's many different reactions to Christmas. Many different attitudes. There's even different songs. There's songs of worship, like we sang today. Uh, Hark the Herald, angels sing. Silent Night, Round Yon Version. I love that. I love those songs, those Christmas hymns. What old little town of Bethlehem. I love them. Then there's secular songs. Songs about... Snowmen and reindeer and uh, an op- uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And I saw and I remember there was some, some hymns that people have changed. They've taken a hymn and it's called a parody. And this one they did on the 12 days of Christmas. It's called the 12 days of Christmas. But I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but it goes, How I hate Christmas, it's so painful to me. Five months of bills, waking up with a hangover, hanging up the lights. There's no parking space, and I still have to buy a tree. <laughs> that doesn't sound very Christmassy to me. I mean, people take the words and change it to fit what they're feeling. That sounds like a, a, a Scrooge right there. Another writer took a hymn, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, and he made it into a parody. Listen to the words of this one. It says, Oh, little town of heartaches, how troubled we see thee lie. Throughout thy deep and dream-tossed sleep, our fears go marching by. Yet in thy dark thoughts dwelleth our everlasting fright. The dread and tears of all the years are visiting tonight. I thought, wow, what a contrast. Instead of the light and the hope that this song talks about, this is about trouble and fears and and heartaches. I thought, wow. Big difference. Different attitude, different song. Some people have the ball humbug attitude uh, at work. Um, You know, it's like, you know, I don't want to do anything. Um, And then others have a benevolent attitude. And they're... There's churches and um, the Second Harvest and the Salvation Army. They're cooking meals for the homeless. And it, that's a blessing. That's a benevolent attitude. And you have firemen who are collecting toys for tots. The point is that there's different reactions. 
Some people say, Merry Christmas. And some people say, Happy Holidays. Different songs, different reactions, different attitudes. And this morning, I want to speak on the four reactions to Christmas. The four reactions to Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. The very first Christmas was not a happy time for King Herod. When the Magi came and asked in verse 2, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Herod reacted with anger. You can even see the animosity. In verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. In the King James, it says uh, troubled. Or in the New King James, it says troubled. He was disturbed. He was angry. Herod was also known as Herod the Great. If you look it up in the dictionary, history, he was an Idumean king. He was half Jew. But if you study a little bit about him, he was a wicked, ruthless king. He reigned from 37 B.C. to about 4 B.C., about 35 years. He was a heathen in practice. He had about nine or ten wives. And on the merest suspicion that one of his wives was being unfaithful, he put her to death. He, Josephus writes that Herod was very jealous of his wife, Miriam. And when she learned of Herod's plan to murder her, she stopped sleeping with him. And so what did he do? He took her to trial for adultery. And then he even had people come up and testify against her. Her mother, Alexandra, had to come up and say things against her daughter. And she incriminated her daughter. Wow. That, and historians say the only reason she did that was because her name was next on the list to be executed. So she did that to save her own neck. And Miriam was executed. And the mother-in-law, Alexandra, declared herself queen, citing that Herod was mentally unfit to govern. Well, that didn't go over well with Herod. And in 29 BC, he murdered her with even without a trial. She didn't even get the luxury of a trial like her daughter. But he was ruthless. Seven years before that, he had married, he had executed his brother-in-law, Aristobulus III, because he was fearful that they were going to appoint him as king of the Jews. In 20. 8 B.C., he executed his brother-in-law, Costobar. In 7 B.C., he murdered his two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus IV. And in the year of his last year of life, when he was fearful that his other son was going to take over, he had his son executed, Antipater III. Josephus was ruthless. Josephus wrote, I mean, I'm sorry, I said Josephus. Herod was ruthless. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, wrote that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn at his death that he commanded a large group of distinguished men to come to Jericho. And he gave the order that those men should be killed at the time of his death. Why? So that... When they had his funeral, there would be some mourning. Even though it wasn't for him, 
it would be some mourning going on at his funeral. He was so concerned that nobody would mourn for him. The wicked king died, but thank God that plan was never carried out. Caesar Augustus exclaimed, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Woo! That's, a, that's, that's, that's terrible. And when Herod looked in the mirror, he saw a king with power, prestige, and wealth, with a beautiful robe and a crown and a scepter. But when he heard the news that Jesus, the king of the Jews, had been born in Bethlehem, how did he react? He reacted with anger. Why did he react like that? Because Herod saw Jesus as a threat, a threat to his life. Herod was troubled that his power, his prestige, and his wealth would be taken from him. Herod didn't want Jesus to interfere in his life, in his position, in his authority. Herod wanted to protect his throne. And he killed his family and his relatives in order to maintain control of his throne, his kingdom. He would kill anybody to stay in power, even children and little babies. Look at the next verse. Verse um, 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod went berserk. He committed a brutal act. Herod was so concerned about guarding his throne, about protecting his throne, that he went and killed all the babies in Bethlehem. And in our minds, we think, oh, those were thousands of babies, but it was, it was a few dozen because Bethlehem wasn't a huge city, but it was still a brutal act. And today, there are people that react just like Herod. They don't want Jesus to interfere in their lifestyle. They don't want Jesus to rule in their lives. They don't want to give up the throne of their life. Not anybody here, of course. These people will not surrender the power and the authority of their lives. And sad, they get angry. They get mad. Because Jesus has to come first. I remember when I was in the world, I wasn't a Christian. I remember the first time I went to church and I heard a Christian preacher. I mean, I I was brought up in the Catholic church, but I went to a Christian church for the first time. And I remember the preacher preaching and he said something that I was a sinner and I was lost. And I got angry. I thought, who, how, how dare him? He don't know me. I, I got mad. I got angry, just like Herod. I reacted. Who's he? And then later on, I got saved. And I realized 
He was right. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was going to hell and I didn't know it. I thought I was a good person. I thought Danny, Danny's good. Danny helps out here and there. Danny's a nice guy. Danny makes people laugh. Danny helps old ladies across the street. I thought I was a nice guy. I really did. I, I, you know? Yeah. And when I heard that he said that I was lost, I got offended. I, I, I got offended. And you know what? There might be some people here today that are getting offended because you're hearing the truth. For the first time in my life, I heard the truth that I can't get into heaven by my own works. I can't get into heaven by my own power. I can't get into heaven by my good works. It's more than that. It's through something supernatural. And his name is Jesus. And I, I, I know there's some people here that are really good, nice. You, you're very generous. But it's only by Jesus that you can make it. Otherwise, it's, there is no other way. But the proclamation was that Jesus would come as king. And listen to me. Jesus either comes as Lord and king or he doesn't come at all. You can't make deals with him. You can't say, okay, I'm going to be good on Sundays and then I'm going to do what I want the rest of the No, no. You can't do it like that. Herod's heart was so calloused by sin. The sin of anger, the sin of pride, because he thought he was all that. And self-centeredness, there was no remorse, no repentance in his heart because his sin had hardened his heart. Christmas was not a joyful time for Herod. Herod did not rejoice at the first Christmas. How did Herod react? Herod reacted with anger. Say that again. How did Herod react? Herod reacted with? I want, to, I want you to notice something. Look at uh, verse 10. And, and turn to Luke. Put your finger in Luke chapter 2. It says in verse 10, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Notice the reaction of the wise men. They were overjoyed. Now turn to Luke chapter 147. We're going to look at about six verses here. Luke chapter 1 verse 47. It's okay to write in your Bible if you want to underline that. And in verse 47, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her, what, what a reaction from Mary. She's rejoicing. Look at verse 68. It's, the father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He says, Praise the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The shepherds are praising God. I mean, the angels are praising God. 
And then in verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Wow, now the shepherds are returning. I bet you they had a skip in their jump, a little hitch in their hike. And they were, they were just excited. They were joyful. They're praising God. The angels are praising God. Zechariah's praising God. Mary's rejoicing. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, go down to verse 28. And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Simeon's praising God. Look at verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to re the redemption of Jerusalem. What a contrast from the reaction of Herod and the reaction of Mary, Zechariah, the wise men, the angels, the shepherds, Simeon, and Anna. What a change. Herod reacted with anger. Point number two. The chief priests reacted with apathy. Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. In Matthew 2, 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. The chief priests and the teachers they were the religious leaders. They were the, the Jewish scholars. They were highly educated and highly honored. They were more or less what we would call the professionals of their time. And when Herod called and demanded to know where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born, what amazes me is that they knew the answer. They knew the answer. They didn't say, like a lot of kids when I talked to them about you know something, they didn't say, I don't know. You ever work with kids? You ask them a question? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. It's like, yeah, you do. You know, tell me. They knew the answer. They didn't say we didn't know. They knew the answer. They told King Herod that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, according to the prophet Micah, who had prophesied this 700 years before he was born. But knowing the answer became an end in itself. Because the Bible says in Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, they became fools. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't care. They couldn't go five miles to see the Messiah, the, the, the newborn king, the miraculous birth. They knew the prophecy, but they didn't care. They were apathetic. They were caught up in their legal discussions, in their rituals, in their, their politics, in their teaching and application of the Old Testament law. Basically, they were too busy to go and see this miracle. The chief priests and the teachers of the law 
reacted with apathy. What a contrast. Again, another contrast. The wise men, these non-Jewish astronomers, traveled about 800 miles to come and see this miracle. They traveled from afar. We even sing a song. We, three kings of glory, yeah. travel afar. They traveled for months. You know how much 800 miles is? It's like from here to Seattle. That is a long distance, even driving. Can you imagine on camel or on foot? That is a long, di- I mean, that is a long way. They traveled a long way. And these Jewish leaders couldn't go five miles? That's apathy. Jesus meant very little to them. The miraculous birth of Christ didn't matter to them. And there are a lot of people just like the chief priests and teachers of the law. You know the truth. You know the Bible verses. You even know some of the Bible prophecies. And still, you are indifferent. You even see the signs. We had a Bible prophecy here in November. And we heard and we see the signs. And you are indifferent. Apathy. You know, I don't know if you realize, but I've talked about Josephus, who's a historian. He was a Jewish historian. He documented these things. It's something called, many preachers know about, the historicity of Jesus. It's called the historicity. It's, and it talks about Jesus' birth was a fact. It happened. It really happened. He was here on earth. He walked and traveled this earth. He was a carpenter. It's been documented, not just by the apostles and, 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 and the writers, but by secular historians. This is a fact. The, the, the proof is overwhelming. Jesus came, was born in Bethlehem. He died on the cross. This we know. And you know that he really was here. But you react with apathy. Don't be apathetic. I, I beg you, don't be apathetic. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but he's coming back. Can you say amen? Don't react like the chief priests and the teachers of the law who had the truth but didn't care. And I want to say something to, to, to Christians. Even older, mature Christians are not invincible to apathy. Do you know that getting old doesn't guarantee good sense? That is so true. Getting old doesn't guarantee that you're going to do everything right. Solomon in the Bible made some foolish mistakes as he got older. Moses, he knew he, he went and struck the rock in anger. He knew better. He knew better. David, when he was walking on the roof and he saw Bathsheba and he lusted after her, he knew better. He was about 50 years old. He wasn't a young man. Not that that there's anything being wrong, nothing nothing wrong with that. Being young is good. But just because you're older, you're still vulnerable. Vulnerable to apathy. You're not immune to lust and materialism. Listen to me, young and old, black, white, man or woman, there is no place for apathy in the church. Get your priorities straight. Put the Lord first. So one, Herod reacted with. Two, the chief priest reacted with apathy. And three, 
the wise man reacted with adoration. In chapter 2 of Matthew, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Magi were Persian astronomers. They were honorable men from the east. And commentators say it is very likely that these men had made contact with Jewish exiles. They had some of the, they had been influenced by Daniel and that they were in possession of some Old Testament prophecies. Maybe something like Micah 5.2 that says, but you, Bethlehem, Epithet, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Or maybe they had Numbers 24, 17. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Whatever reason, these non-Jewish Persian astronomers traveled a long distance and followed that star. They searched and they searched and they followed the star. They, and do you know, they, they were looking for the king of the Jews. So why did they go to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem was the capital. They were thinking, king of the Jews, I'll go to the capital. And that's where they went. And that's where they asked Herod, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? So then Herod summoned his chief priests. They told him. And then in verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He summoned the wise man, and he pretended to be interested in them. And in the time that the exact, the, the exact time the star appeared, I want to ask you, did, they, did he really want to worship Jesus? No. No, his motive was to try and figure out the exact time, the precise date, so that he could go and locate him and get rid of him. That was his motive. He wanted to get rid of him. He was ruthless. He was a murderer. And in verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. So right there, they didn't visit Jesus. The Magi didn't visit Jesus at the stable, did they? On the manger or on the night of his birth. That's, that's tradition. But the, the Bible says on coming to the house. That was months after his birth. Months after he was a little child. See, that's how long they traveled. That's a long distance. If you were to walk from here to Seattle, it would take you a long time too. But the wise men reacted with adoration. Look what it says. It says, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And in verse 11, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. The wise men gave Jesus the best gifts they had. Gold stood for royalty. It was for our, our king. Myrrh, frankincense was for purity, for our prayers, because he's our high priest. And myrrh was for someone who was destined to die. It was for our sacrifice. So he's our king, our high priest, and our sacrifice. That's why we sing. 
Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We sing that with joy. We, we sing it with, with, with love. Silent night, holy night. Christ the Savior is born. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. That's adoration. And in Matthew 1.21, it says, And she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God has sent his son to earth to save sinners from their sins. That's why we as Christians react with adoration. What is worship? What is adoration? It's about our hearts. It's about what and who we love more than anything in the world. That's what adoration is. And we as Christians have that hope of eternal life. That's why we sang that song. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Amen. It's, it's for that reason that we adore him and worship him because God and sinners are reconciled. The wise man reacted with adoration because after the long journey, after months of traveling, they found what they were looking for. The prophecy that was foretold 700 years before was true. It was true. They saw the G Jesus. They, they, they saw Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to notice something about worship. Worship includes offerings. Did you notice that? They didn't withhold anything. Matter of fact, they gave their best. They gave him their best. They didn't say, oh, this little baby, he, he, he's not going to miss these expensive little gifts. He, we, we don't need to give him these things. No, they gave him the best they had. Gold, frankincense, and rum. That's why I like that little song, uh, Little Drummer Boy. Rum. I played my best for it. See, the best. They played his best for the king. And they gave their best. They reacted with adoration. They fell down and they worshiped Jesus, the newborn king. You know, and I believe as they knelt, I believe as they, they, they showed reverence, an honor to, to, to Jesus as they saw that baby. They must have saw first who they were. They said, I'm no good. I'm a sinner. And then they saw who he was. They saw the Savior. And that's why they bowed down, gave those gifts, and worshiped him. That is adoration. That's cause for worship on bended knee. So one, Herod reacted with. Two, the chief priest reacted with. And three, the wise man reacted with. Last but not least, turn to Luke chapter 2. Simeon reacted with anticipation. In verse 25, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. The Bible tells us he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon was a man of God. Elohim. He 
He was in the temple. He was an elderly man. But the Bible tells us he was devoted to God. He was spirit-filled. And that word spirit-filled means controlled by the Holy Spirit. And God had given him a special revelation in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Notice something about Simeon. He was effective. He was used by God. Why? Because he was just and devout. Let me tell you something. You are ineffective when you are complacent and apathetic or angry. You can't be used by God. But Simeon was spirit-led. And, that, and in verse 25 where it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I looked up that word. It means to what, look for with a view to a favorable reception. In other words, it means to look forward to, to have some expectation, to be anticipating. Literally, it means to be alert to his appearing. Alert to his appearing. To eagerly expect somebody. That's Waiting, that's the word, what it means there. It means ready to welcome him. Have you ever invited guests and they're late and you're kind of like looking out the window, ready for them, ready, waiting, because the food's getting cold, ready. Have you ever paid your income tax and you're waiting for your income tax refund check? You're kind of like waiting, going to the mailbox, checking, waiting eagerly to get the check that you know you're, you can use. That's what this word means, waiting, looking forward to, eagerly anticipating. Uh, some of you guys are football fans. At the end of the game, sometimes it's down there near the end. It comes down to the last few seconds. The kicker comes out, and the fans, the coach, the, the players, they're all on the sidelines, sometimes even kneeling, praying. They're eagerly anticipating that ball to go through the uprights so that they can Win the game. That's what it means. Eagerly expect. Anticipating. Last year, um, me and Eva, we were waiting for, eagerly anticipating Jesse to come home from San Diego. And this time, she, she, uh, they drove. And so we were waiting. It was like the day before Thanksgiving. And we're waiting. And so I'm watching, me and Eva sitting up, watching the news, 10 o'clock. And about 10, 15 Rolled by, I started getting tired. Kind of like some of you guys sometimes with your eyes closed, just waiting there. Oh. And then about 11 o'clock, I decided I'm going to go wait from the bedroom. And Eva waited on the sofa. And then we're waiting. 12 o'clock rolled by. 1 o'clock rolled by. I was still waiting. Eva was waiting. And then all of a sudden, about 2 o'clock, we heard a car pull up. Eva jumped off the sofa. I jumped out of bed. We were there at the door ready to greet her. We were eagerly anticipating her arrival. Hey, hey, how you doing? Good night. <laughs> eagerly awaiting her appearance. That's what this word means. Waiting. Waiting for. Eagerly anticipating. Just looking forward to. Simeon, being spirit-led, says, took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. I like that. You can now dismiss your servant in peace. Remember when you were young and you ate at the dinner table? And after you were done eating, you didn't just get up and leave. What did you have to do? For some of you that were raised like this, you had to ask, may I be excused? 
May I be dismissed? And then your parents said, yes. And then you grabbed your plate. I know this is foreign to some people. You grab your plate and your fork and your spoon and you went and put it away. And then you, you left. Very rarely do you see that anymore. But or remember you were in class back in the old days and you, class was over and the teacher would say, class dismissed. And then students would get up and leave. None of this bell ringing business and everybody left when they want to. Mm-mm. Well, Simeon is saying to God, now may I be dismissed from this life. Now I'm ready to die, Lord. He shows extraordinary faith. And he's saying, your servant is ready to depart in peace. Wow. That man was spirit-led. Why did he say, your servant is ready to depart in peace? Verse 30 says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I want to ask you a question. What did Simeon see? Did he see a church? Did he see a cross? Did he see a religion? No, no. He saw a Savior. And I want to tell you, salvation is a person. Salvation isn't going to church. Salvation is found in the baby Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts 4, 12, there is no other name whereby man may be saved except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation isn't through attending a church, wearing a cross, or carrying a Bible. Salvation is through Jesus. Simeon had special insight, and he saw that. And he says, for which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. For all people, the whole earth, a light to the Gentiles. Who's the, who, who are the Gentiles? That's us. That's me and you. Simeon reacted with anticipation. And in verse 35, 33, he says, the Bible says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to call the fall, falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He said that Jesus was pivotal to the falling and rising of many in Israel. What did that mean? That means for those who trust him will rise to everlasting life and to those who reject him, you fall to everlasting judgment. It means you are eternally separated from God. In conclusion, the only people who really enjoyed the first Christmas were those who were looking forward to it. You see the four reactions. You see Herod. You see the chief priest. You see the wise man. And you see Simeon. You can go on and hear another sermon and you can go through another year and see another nativity scene. Or you can fall on your knees in repentance and worship Christ who offers salvation. I just want to tell you something, and I say this with all my heart. You will never be offered a greater gift than Jesus. You will never, ever be offered a greater gift than Jesus. Let us bow our heads in prayer.
I want to ask everyone here today the same question. With every head bowed, I want to ask you, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? How will you react this Christmas? With anger, with apathy, or with adoration and with anticipation? Simeon died safe, satisfied and secure in the Lord. Have your eyes seen the salvation of the Lord? If you were to die, God forbid, would you be able to die in peace? I want to invite you to accept Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Is there someone here that says, my life is filled with heartache? My priorities, they're out of whack. I want to ask you, have you committed your life to Christ? Cry out to God. Ask Him to save you. If there's someone here like that, raise your hand. I want to turn my life over to God. Is there someone that feels that way? Senses God speaking to you. Don't wait and procrastinate. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to see that Christmas is about a sinless baby who changed the world forever. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear your word and follow it. And we ask all these things in your holy name. And all the people said, Amen.